name is uh, Sam McCallum. I'm one of the uh, leadership uh, team here at Crestwick Church. We want to welcome you warmly uh, to our service together tonight. It's great to see you all here. And uh, we do uh, certainly want to uh, welcome especially uh, Church of the City and uh, the church here at Crestwick. It's great that we're able to um, meet in this um, special night together. We just want to uh, let you know that there will be a service uh, tomorrow morning at 10.30 here at Crestwick, and uh, you certainly will be more than welcome to come uh, to that service on Christmas Day. We um, also want to let you know that um, if you are a first-time person uh, to church, or if you're one of those folk who hadn't had to church for Christmas or Easter, you are especially welcome. And uh, we're not going to ask you to put your hand up or anything like that, but uh, you know who you are. And uh, we're just glad that you're here. I'm going to ask you to uh, bow your heads and we're going to pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful today that um, we have a, a purpose in our meeting. As we celebrate uh, what took place over 2,000 years ago, we recognize, Lord, that um, for many of us, the last couple of days and even today has been a just in a very hectic day, we would ask, Father, that you would quieten our hearts before us. Thank you for what has already taken place, for the hymns and the choruses that we've sung together that so keenly uh, point out that you are the Lord. We ask you, Father, for your blessing upon us and for every part of, this, of, the, of our time together, and each person who's here, we would ask that the Spirit of God himself would do what is necessary in each of our lives. And this is our prayer, and in the strong name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In the city is the temple run by the priests. And one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. 
And then he says that the son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way. But how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods, no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiancé, Joseph, had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks, and an angel appears, which, of course, freaks them out. But they're told to celebrate. Because tonight in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby. And they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place. And their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. Well, uh, very Merry Christmas to everyone that is gathered here today. It is so good to have you here and to begin celebrating Christmas. Now, uh, you're all here, and I'm assuming that you're somewhat expectant uh, that Christmas is almost here. And for some of you, uh, you're getting a little bit anxious about that fact. Maybe for some of you, you're like, oh my goodness, I've left my wrapping till this evening, and you'll be up late. Uh, Maybe for others of us, um, Christmas isn't a time that we celebrate. Uh, It's actually brings up emotions in us that uh, might be negative. Uh, We don't like the idea of uh, many people celebrating the idea of getting together with families because for you personally, uh, family, you don't have a close family. 
Well, we're just so excited that you're here today, um, that you can actually celebrate with us. If you don't have a place to be tomorrow, we are going to find somewhere for you to be. Okay, we have lots of people in both Creswick and Church of the City that would love to host you for a Christmas meal. So please come up afterwards and we'd love to speak with you. But the other thing about Christmas is Christmas reveals for many of us how we relate to God or what we think about God. Uh, We've been talking at Church of the City for the last month about different ways that people think or relate to God. And the one way people relate to God is they, they live their lives with a perspective of life under God. And life under God, people really see the Bible or any religious text as really a bunch of morals that they need to live by because if they live by them and if they obey all of the rules and all of the different things that are measured up in each of these biblical texts, then at the end of it, then God owes them because they've been obeying him so well. So maybe you know people, and for them it's all about just obeying a bunch of rules, and it seems like their faith is quite legalistic. Then other people live in a life over God perspective, which is really a pendulum swing away from life under God. And life over God people, they see that the world, we just need to figure out all of the laws and principles that govern the world. And as long as we have all the laws and principles figured out, we'll be fine. So do away with God. We don't need him. God, if there is a God, he might be there, but he's not really too interested in what we human beings do. So don't give mind to God. So at Christmas time, you like maybe celebrating with family. You like the carols that we sing, all of these different things, but they really don't mean anything to you. It just kind of brings up this kind of warm feeling inside of you. Then there's people that relate to God in a life from God perspective. And these folks care a lot about the good things of God or the good gifts of God or the fact that we live in a country like Canada. But you know what? I don't really want anything to do with God. Or if there's any suffering related to following Jesus, I don't really want any side of that. And then there's people. Yes, there's a fourth group. And these folks are life for God. And they're the pendulum swing away from life from God. And life for God places the mission of God or the purpose of their faith more important than God himself. So maybe some of you can relate to that. It's you, Maybe at this time of year, you go and you serve at a soup kitchen, you go and serve somewhere else, and that becomes more important than actually being in relationship with God himself. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to impress him. You're trying to accomplish a lot of things for him. You're trying to achieve a lot of stuff. Well, all four of these things are really counterfeit ways that people relate to God. Now, there are aspects of each of these, but when these ways of relating to God take priority over God himself, then we have a problem. And the incredible message of Christmas is that we don't have to relate to a God in any of these four ways, but that we've actually been designed and been created to relate to God in a completely different way, and that's the perspective of life with God. Imagine doing your life with God. Now, some of us in this room might say there is no God. And that's fine. We're glad you're here that you're singing the carols with us. But imagine if you could have a relationship with the maker of the universe, assuming there is one. Wouldn't that be incredible? And wouldn't this maker of the universe, if you're in relationship with him, expect things of you because it is a relationship? I mean, that's kind of how a relationship works. I have a relationship with my wife. It's a wonderful relationship, but she expects certain things of me, right? Now, I want to look tonight at a few characteristics of what a life with God looks like. The The first perspective of a life with God is that life with God simply treasures God. Life with God treasures 
God. Now, I am a big dessert guy. I am excited about this time of year because the desserts come out. And growing up for me, uh, there was a dessert that my mom began to prepare. And as time went on, it began to be known as Matt's favorite pie. Uh, it, would, it, it had probably a name before it became that, but as time went on, our whole family relates to this pie. Its, it's title is Matt's Favorite Pie. It's an Oreo cookie crumb shell with vanilla pudding, uh, with then bananas in the vanilla pudding, and then uh, whipped cream on top with, with chocolate chips. Some of you are like, whoa, that is a good pie. That is, that is Matt's Favorite Pie. Now, I'm going to be like, for you and for me, I treasure this pie. Okay, I treasure it. I, I, I enjoy it. I can't wait to have it. Andre was saying earlier today, I was because I said I'm going to talk about Matt's favorite pie. And she said, well, you know, you haven't had Matt's favorite pie in a long time. Hint, hint, let's have some Matt's favorite pie. So, you know, I treasure this pie. And there's a reason I treasure it. And it's a reason that it's eventually become Matt's favorite pie is because of the fact that I treasure it. I have a clear picture of what Matt's favorite pie is. I know if somebody tries to scrap the vanilla and just throw in banana pudding, that that's just going to, that's not going to be good. Well, life with God treasures God. And I think a lot of the reason many people struggle to treasure God or really desire to want to enjoy him is because they have a fuzzy picture of who God is. You and I know this, that when people have a fuzzy picture of who God is. I mean, we live in a post-secular society in which there are a plethora of options out there for you in sort of a religious way. You want to go find a God that kind of meets and fits all of your ways? There is a God out there for you. So we have this fuzzy picture of who this one God is. Now in the video, we watched one of the narrative ways that the Gospels in the New Testament describe Jesus. But there's another gospel, and it's the gospel of John. And in the gospel of John, it doesn't start off like some of the others do. It doesn't tell us the story of Christmas. What John is intending to tell us is the meaning of Christmas. He says, Here's, you know the story, but let me actually make sense of it for you. So I want to look at uh, chapter 1 of John. I'm going to simply just uh, recite it to you. This is John 1 verse 14 related to treasuring God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Now the Greek word, the original Greek in which the New Testament was written, the word for word, capital W word in the text, is the Greek word logos. And we get the word logic from logos. So here is in many ways what John is telling us. Jesus is the logic of God for you and for me. Now what does that mean? If we want to get a clear picture of who God is, we need to look at Jesus. And that's the incredible thing of Christmas, is that if there was no Jesus, if Jesus never came to the earth, then we would all have a very fuzzy picture of who this God is. But because God came to earth... In the form of Jesus, to you and to me, we get a clear picture of who this God is. How much he loves humanity. How compassionate he is for the world. How he does, does, does not desire and does looks upon the world and sees brokenness. There are so many times in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life where he looks around and he has compassion on people. My hope this Christmas and at this time of year is that, is that you would begin to treasure God because you see him through the lens of Jesus. Jesus says 
that you cannot know the Father but through the Son. So if you know yourself, you are always, when you're talking about God, you're never looking at him through the lens of Jesus. Back up. Look through, look through the lens of Jesus. Now, the next thing that you need to sort of do in order to treasure something, and this is where my analogy of Matt's favorite pie breaks down, is that in order to truly treasure something, you need to be united with something. You need to have a connection. You need to have communion with something. And for me, I, I just kind of jump right into that pie. There's, there's not a lot holding back. But the scriptures tell us that in order for us to do life with God, to be united to him, something had to change. And I want to read John 1, verse 9 to 13. It says this, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is Jesus coming as the light into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, some of us are sitting here and like, okay, okay, man, you just lost me there. What is this saying? Well, here is what it's saying. Firstly, is that there is a light who came to give light which means that a light has to come to give light to a thing that is dark. What the scriptures are telling us, and I think all of us would agree on this point, whether or not we'd consider ourselves Christians or not, is that the world is a fairly dark place. You look around, you, you watch the news. I try to watch the news every evening to keep up on things. The world is a very, very dark place. What we read here in this text is that a light comes in to give light so we don't have to go in the way of the darkness. That this is good news. The second point that this text tells us is that there are those who, though made through him, will not receive him. And many of us will agree on this one as well. That if we were created by a creator God, and through Jesus, as this text says that there are those who will receive and that there are those that will not. And you might be a person here tonight and you say, I agree with that because I don't believe in God. I don't buy into the Jesus thing. But then thirdly, what it tells us is that there are those who will receive him. And as a result, they will experience adoption and union with God. And those who will not, and that as a result of those who will not, that they will live actually apart from him eternally. You see, many people don't like God and they say, there is no God because we'll look at the world and all the pain and evil and suffering. If there is a just God, then he would do away with all pain, evil, and suffering. Christianity says, yes, there is a world that we live in that's filled with pain, evil, and suffering. But if God is to wipe out all pain, evil, and suffering, he'd have to wipe out all of humanity because at the core of every single human person is a selfish heart. There are stories that come out, came out of World War II and the concentration camps. And many people assume that in a situation like a concentration camp, that people would start doing things for one another, for the good of one another, because they're all in a terrible situation. And what one writer talks about is actually, no. Put in extreme circumstances, people actually continued to make decisions that were innately selfish and went after their own desires and not for the good of all of everyone else. So if God is to just rid the world of pain, evil, and suffering, then he'd have to rid ourselves of us. 
you know, I have a two-year-old and also an eight-month-old. And my two-year-old, uh, I mean, it is not hard to go far with him to realize that there is a selfish heart at the core of a human being. Like the things, like I'm, you know, some people would like, well, that's just nurture. Oh, come on. Come on. I did not get him to scream at me. Um, that would hope maybe mean that I'd be needing to scream at his mother, which I do raise my voice from time to time, but not in the way that he does. Okay? That there is selfishness at the core of the human heart. And what this text in John tells us is that Jesus came to make a way for humanity to be united with God again. That the scriptures tell us a story of creation in which God creates humanity, then fall, kind of scene two, act two, in which humanity rebels against God. And humanity's kind of like wandering around like this for a while, and then God says, it's not going to be the end. I'm going to send my son who will make a way. And that is act three, redemption. And without redemption, we're stuck in fall. But we need redemption. So life with God treasures God. Life with God is united with God through the person of Jesus. But then finally, life with God is also an experience with God. You experience God. Now, many people want spiritual experiences. Uh, It's amazing if you look at statistics. While less and less people are interested in organized religion, just as many people are interested in the spiritual. Uh, Steve Jobs, founder of Apple Computers, uh, he went actually to India at one point to be enlightened. He wanted a spiritual, he wanted to reach a spiritual euphoria in kind of his um, pantheistic worldview. You see, many people, they, they don't, and some of us here are naturalists or secularists. You see, the thing is, there is things that, that science cannot prove. You cannot study on a, under a microscope why there is love and why there is hate. So people know this, and they look around at the world, and they say, there must, there's questions that purely a materialistic worldview can't answer for me. And so people want a connection with the spiritual. I was talking with somebody this week, and they were reflecting on their father passing away, and them being, their brother being out on the water, and out on the water, they said, my father was with me. You know, like, from a materialistic point of view, how is that father with you? He's dead. But she senses something. There's, there's a connection of some sort. What is this supernatural experience? Well, the scriptures and the Bible talk about the Holy Spirit. And that when we come to know Jesus, when we're united with God, we are given the Holy Spirit, which is God himself inside of us. It's the most invasive truth of all of Christian teaching and theology. That God would not only come as Jesus, but that God would also send his spirit to be inside of human beings. And what happens when somebody begins to experience God and do their life with God and experience him is that they change. Maybe you can speak of this before. Somebody that you know before they came to know Jesus and after they came to know Jesus. This is a quote from a guy named Scott Sauls. He says this, The best case for Christianity is the lives that have been changed by Jesus. Liars becoming more honest. 
Crooks returning what they have stolen. Anxious and dying people finding peace. Cowardly and fearful people finding courage. Hurtful people asking forgiveness from those they have hurt. Bodies wasting away as the souls who inhabit those bodies become more alive. Business people doing the less profitable thing because it is the right thing. Aimless people finding meaning in their lives. Spouses staying committed to each other through the hard and the dry seasons. Addicts becoming sober. Adulterers becoming pregnant mothers continuing their pregnancies knowing that they are carrying a child with Down syndrome, rejected and unappreciated parents persisting in unconditional love towards their straying, entitled children. There are only, these are only a few examples of how the Jesus Christ of Christmas and the resurrection changes people. And you maybe know a story of someone's life who has been changed. And if you do, then there might be something there about what they believe and who they are experiencing. Because it's not just some supernatural spiritual euphoria that they feel. It's that they are in relationship with the maker of the universe and the Holy Spirit that is now inside of them. And therefore they live and they act differently. This is what life with God is all about. It's treasuring him. It's united with him and it's experiencing him. And at Christmas, we get the full picture of what this looks like. Because God, Emmanuel, came to be with you and with me. Not so that we could relate to him in a way of under, over, from, or for, but so that we could enter into a personal relationship with God himself through Jesus. If Jesus had not come, then it would all be about a moralistic worldview and you just doing a bunch of good things to try to make your way and get to heaven. But Jesus did come and he made a way for you and for me to enter into relationship with him because left to our own devices, our good would never outweigh our bad. And so we enter into relationship. And this gift of Jesus coming is not just available to all those that have already called themselves Christians or those who's raised in a Christian home. It's available to the world. James, the brother of Jesus. Like, think about, think about this. What would you have to do or convince to convince your sibling that you were the son of God? And James, in the New Testament, says that Jesus, his brother, came not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. The way to a life of peace, of hope, of meaning, and of love is not through trying harder, but looking at the one who made that life possible. And that is Jesus Christ. And so Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, is that we celebrate. We celebrate the birth of a king. We celebrate the birth of a savior. We celebrate the birth of the one who came to unite ourselves with God so we could do life with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this gift. I pray, God, that tonight, more than any maybe nights that we've had before around the season of Christmas, that we would lean into you. I pray for those of us, God, that that claim that we have faith in you, Jesus. But in many ways, we've been living lives that do not resemble experiencing God, that do not experience treasuring you. I pray, God, that you would bring us to a place where we understand what the true message and meaning of Christmas is, that you came to do life with us so we didn't have to try harder. 
And I pray for those of us in this room, God, that, that we would say there is no God that's just nice Christmas carols. God, I pray that you would move right now in hearts. God, they would understand that there is, there is rational thinking behind the need for a maker. That our desires for hope, for meaning, for purpose, for ultimate joy cannot be found in just doing more good human stuff, but God, that it's only found completely in you and what you've promised. God, people that have been on the doorstep of death, the thing that kept them going by hope was you, Jesus, that life did not end upon their last breath here, but God, life would exist eternally with you. And God, you have made that possible. So I pray that if there's anybody in this room that's never expressed that, nor said, I put my faith in Jesus, that they would do that tonight for the very first time. And God, that they would begin to experience a relationship with you. God, we are humbled. We are thankful. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who love you all across the world, many of them persecuted, who do not have the joy of gathering in a place like this to celebrate you. We thank you for their witness. May we learn from it. And God, we thank you for the many churches that are gathering this evening across the city of Guelph. God, we pray that each person that participates in these services would be reminded of the Savior. That tomorrow morning, that the priority would not be the gifts, would not be the stress, would not be the anxiety, but the hope that we have and have found in Jesus. You are the greatest gift. Renew our minds and hearts tonight with that. We love you. Amen.